Join me at a destination where the national airline is often grounded because it hasn't the foreign currency to pay for the fuel. Oh, and the price of everything doubled between the two visits four weeks apart that I was there. Hello, I'm Gary Bembridge and this is Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast. My travel reviews and recommendations based on the first-hand experiences I gain from the up to two to three times a month I travel all over the world. To find out more, you can visit the website at tipsfortravellers.com or mytravelreviews.com where you'll find links, show notes, how to subscribe, individual episodes and many photo and video galleries. It's now time for this episode of Tips for Travellers. In this episode of Tips for Travellers, I'm talking about Zimbabwe in Africa. I visited the capital city Harare twice in the space of four weeks. And the tip for travel is probably that you shouldn't really visit unless you want to experience firsthand a country that's free-falling into an economic and humanitarian fiasco and disaster. But first off, let me talk about where Zimbabwe is and a very, very brief history. Zimbabwe is in Africa, but it's not in South Africa. And that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions. People think that Zimbabwe is South Africa. It is not in South Africa, but it is in Southern Africa. It is in the southern part of the African continent. It's a landlocked country with the country of South Africa in its, su- in its southern border. It has Mozambique on its eastern border. It has Zambia in the north, and it has Botswana in the west. I actually grew up in, in two of the cities in Zimbabwe, in Bulawayo, which is the second largest city, and Harare, which is the capital. Now, Harare used to be called Salisbury, and the country used to be called Rhodesia. Before the 1960s, it was a British colony, and it actually was part of Rhodesia and Nyasaland, where northern Rhodesia later became known as Zambia, and Nyasaland later became known as Malawi. In the 1960s, the UK government started granting independence to these countries, which were all colonies. However, in what was then called southern Rhodesia, there was a government in place which was kind of based on the apartheid system in South Africa. So it was kind of a white minority government, and they declared UDI in 1965, November 1965. And the prime minister at the time was a guy called Ian Douglas Smith. And they broke away from the UK and declared themselves independent and tried to keep a sort of a minority government with, as I said, many of the principles of apartheid in place. A quite a vicious Uh, civil war broke out with a lot of people being uh, quite brutally kind of murdered on both sides. But finally in 1980, majority rule came to place and Robert Mugabe became prime minister and later became president. Now, the country is an agricultural country primarily. It does have some minerals and, and, and stuff like that, but it's mostly agricultural. And I think at one point it was one of the largest producers of tobacco in the world. I think probably second only to Russia, if I remember correctly. Anyway, it was, it was a big agricultural country. But through from 1980 and for probably the first uh, 20 years or something, or less than 20 years of um, the new independent government, the 
land, most of the agricultural land, was still really owned and farmed by the white population, which is quite a small percentage of the population. However, as um, the government became more restless and as the economic situation got tougher, the government began a process of basically claiming back the land, which basically meant uh, getting rid of the white farmers. And some of that was pretty violent, and a couple of farmers were killed, and it was quite a messy process. And the land was redistributed. However, there wasn't really a proper plan behind it. So many people were given land but not given training or actually resources to farm the land. So the land turned from being largely kind of commercial into much more subsistence farming or much less farming. And something like about 50%, say, of the dairy herd uh, disappeared. It was no longer farmed. Many of the tobacco farms stopped um, operating, and actually the economy shrunk horrifically, and things just became worse and worse and worse. The government is pretty brutal, and through the various elections, it's made sure that it's stayed in power. It is a one-party state. It, uh, not long after yeah, independence, it became a one-party state, like many other countries in Africa. And Robert Mugabe has been the Prime Minister and then President all this time and for many years people have kind of hoped that he would move on but he has clung on to power and won a series of, of elections but basically the country is now in horrific economic decline. Inflation is officially uh, about 400% however if you read stuff uh, and talk to people who live there and even the supermarkets will tell you that inflation is at least 600%. And in fact, as I mentioned, the time that I was there, I was I visited um, uh, in a couple of weeks ago and came, went back actually three and a half weeks later and everything had doubled in price in the space of a month. So inflation is pretty horrific. The other thing that is pretty horrific, as with many countries in Africa, is the spread of HIV and AIDS. And in fact, the average life expectancy in Zimbabwe is now plummeted down to around 40 years old, maybe even as young as 37, depending on who you listen to. And that's because HIV and AIDS has spread so rapidly and the government has no way of really providing the treatment and, and, and the drugs, etc. It's also a pretty corrupt situation where people in power have really become incredibly corrupt. So many of the farms that were claimed were handed over to uh, whether it be clergy, whether it be policemen, whether it be government ministers. And so there was a lot of corruption in that front. And also crazy things happen. So, for example, they've introduced a new system where all the number plates have to be replaced. However, you can only buy them from one particular source, which happens to be owned by um, a government minister or a friend of, or brother of a government minister. So corruption is, is pretty horrific. Now, we're talking about Zimbabwe as a destination, so let's put it into context. Now, Zimbabwe used to be, in my view, a great place to visit as a tourist. It had a pretty modern city, uh, capital city, which was Harare, with, with some hotels, um, some pretty impressive-looking hotels, with famous names like Sheraton, Crown Plaza, that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, pretty pretty top-notch, a very pretty city, quite uh, lush, quite uh, spread out, but, you know, a pretty good city. But it did actually have some amazing sites to visit as a tourist um, with some kind of romantic history behind them. So they had things like the Great Zimbabwe Ruins, which are are... Well, no one really knows the true story behind that, whether it was Polynesian, whether it was um, old African tribes, but incredible structures um, built out of these 
stone bricks and very very fascinating and it just has it's just incredible in the middle of of, of the bush these incredible ruins it also is very, very good for safaris. They have the Hwangi Park, which is just incredible. And I have to say, having gone to places like the Kruger Park, Hwangi Park used to be amazing. It was much wilder, um, much less. The, the animals just seemed much wilder. And it was, it was just great in terms of, of animals. They did have one problem, which was you know, too many elephants. And they had to have a lot of culling because the, the elephant population was just so... Uh, expanding so much but um, just incredible game they also had the Victoria Falls now the Victoria Falls are without a shadow of a doubt I think of everything that I've seen all around the world is still the most impressive thing I've ever seen these incredible falls um, were discovered obviously by the people who lived there but became known in the western world when a guy called Livingston David Livingston who was an explorer uh, and, and was kind of thrashing around that area, was taken by people that he met, local people, to a, a thing they called Moziotanya, which was the smoke that thunders. And, he, and the reason he did that was as he sailed down the Zambezi River, which is between the border of Zambia and Zimbabwe, as you go down the river, there's this what appears to be smoke pouring into the air and this thundering noise. And um, that is what they called Moziotanya, when he got to the top of the falls and looked over, there was just this impressive, huge, big gorge with water uh, just pouring over it. And I read a, a fact one day that something like as much water pours over there in the space of 10 or 15 minutes as the whole of London consumes in, in a day. I mean, the volume of water powering over this is just phenomenal. Um, and he spoke about, you know, angels must have smiled on this place. Anyway, he named it the Victoria Falls after the Queen at the time. And the name is actually stuck because it's just become so incredibly well-known globally. Um, but the Victoria Falls was just incredible. And they have these amazing hotels which have been there for a very long time, like the Victoria Falls Hotel, which is this colonial building that's been there for, for, for I think, something like 200 years or something like that. Then there was also the man-made Lake Kariba, which, is, again, is on the border between... Um, Zimbabwe and Zambia, which was originally built to generate power, it's hydroelectric power, and a very, very impressive wall, which is just a staggering wall, very similar to the Hoover Dam, uh, in, in fact, but I don't know whether, I think actually Kariba's bigger, the actual space water mass that it takes up is bigger than, than, than Hoover Dam. And on Kariba, when they created this, 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 this whole area of fishing, this whole fishing industry, um, houseboats, and it's just an amazing, amazing lake. So there's incredible stuff going on for tourists, which is all just pretty much dried up and died because of the violence um, and the bad press that, that, that happened to Zimbabwe. Now, on the positive side, what happened was Zambia which is on the border, as I mentioned, with things like Kariba and, importantly, the Victoria Falls. Um, you know, five, six years ago at Millennium, when I went to Zimbabwe for Millennium, when we went up to the Victoria Falls, a, a friend and I, and you could actually walk across the, the bridge and walk across into Zambia and look at the falls from the other side. Now, when you went across to the Zambian side and Livingston, which is actually the name of the town, just at the other side, there was almost nothing. There was almost no tourist infrastructure whatsoever. And now in the space of five years, you know, Zambia has just embraced the opportunity that the, the chaos in Zimbabwe has, has, has built up. And they built this amazing tourism. There's hotels now. There's many, many, you know, top brand name hotels there. They built up a whole infrastructure with flights over the falls, bungee jumping, 
and and they they have an, an airport which is thriving and they're actually in the process at Livingston of expanding that so actually jumbo jets um, you know the big planes can fly directly in because at the moment if you fly from Europe you need to fly via Johannesburg in in South Africa or through Lusaka or something like that in in Zambia but anyway so the Victoria Falls is just absolutely incredible and if you want to go to the Victoria Falls you really need to go more to the Zambian side now but let me talk to you a little bit about some observations about Zimbabwe, just to kind of give you a sense of, of, of what it's like. When you arrive at the airport, you fly into the airport. I flew in with British Airways. They used to fly five times a week. They now fly three times a week. They used to fly jumbo jets. They now fly 777s. And the, 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 the plane is pretty empty because the only people who can basically afford to fly in British Airways now are people who have foreign currency. So that would be foreigners. Um, you know, UK people or whatever, because they, the British Airways will not accept anything other than US dollars or British sterling um, for fares. So anyone locally just can't afford it because the, the, they just either can't get foreign currency or just the, the weakness of the Zimbabwe dollar, um, they just have to, to fly um, Air Zimbabwe, which is a problem because, as I mentioned in the early credits, Air Zimbabwe often or not often, but every now and again, has no money to pay for fuel and gets grounded until they get bailed out. Anyway, you fly into Harare, and the airport is pretty modern. It's pretty impressive. It looks good. And you arrive into the airport, and you have to pay for a visa, which is 55 US dollars, which is a lot of money um, just for a visa, but it's a desperate way to get foreign currency. What's interesting, though, is once you leave the airport, you then start to get a sense of what's going on. First of all, you pay your parking ticket if someone's come to fetch you, and you discover that's $300,000, which sounds a lot, and you realize that people are paying these in $1,000 and $20,000 bills. That's your first warning sign. As you head into Harare, what strikes you is these very battered flagpoles, which are rusty all along the road, and these used to be used for you know state state visits and, and occasions. You also realize that the road is very potholed and bumpy, and there's no repairs being made. You also realize as you pull up to traffic lights is maybe one of them works or none of them work. And what people who live there will tell you is as you approach traffic lights, you need to try to work out if they work at all and if any of them are working. Because basically as they stop working, there's no money to replace the lights, so they just stop working. The other thing you realize it's incredibly dry all around you. Now, I was visiting Italy before the rains arrived, but it was very dry and dusty and just generally feeling run down. The thing you do notice, though, is it's not that much traffic, not that many cars, not that many taxis, not many trucks. And the reason for that is there's no fuel. Petrol stations in Zimbabwe stopped selling fuel about three years ago. Petrol stations do not sell fuel. You cannot buy fuel from a petrol station. There is, I think, one petrol station in Harare that sells petrol. And you, if you have U.S. dollars, you can buy it if they have it. And people can be queuing it um, for up to days, actually, to try and get fuel. So all fuel is bought on the black market, and it's in very limited supply. And everyone talks to you that you meet about you know, how, how they basically um, just don't have fuel to get around and about, so they don't go out. So there's not that much traffic. So the traffic lights don't work, but it kind of helps because there's not a lot of traffic. The other thing that strikes you is when you, as already referred to, because inflation is so huge, the biggest bill is a $20,000 $20, bill. And if you go shopping, so say you just go to the grocery store and you buy a, a small basket of things, you know, maybe stuff for lunch, so some rolls and some cold meats and whatever, that'll cost you maybe $1 million or $1.5 
dollars and you've got to pay that in anything from one thousand dollar bills up to twenty thousand dollar bills so everyone walks around with bags of and wadges of cash and all the tills uh, now increasingly have um, money counting machines because the volume of money is so great but the government can't afford to have any bigger bills the other thing you discover when going shopping in zimbabwe is if you go say grocery shopping or food shopping you you roam so you go from shop to shop as you try and kind of stock up on what you need. You can't actually go to a supermarket and buy everything. What you also realize is there'll be a huge display of something because they're clearly in stock. But you also talk to people there. You know, there may be shortage of sugar or there may be shortage of bread or there may be shortage of flour. And suddenly it comes in, there's a huge big display and it all disappears. So, for example, Diet Coke came in and there was a display of Diet Coke, which within 10, 15 minutes was completely gone. But as I mentioned, the price of things doubled. So, for example, I bought some Diet Cokes, which is quite unusual for people to buy because um, because of inflation, people don't have a lot of money. So I bought a Diet Coke, um, and three and a half weeks later, when I went back, the price was double. I went to a local gym there. Uh, to go for one session cost me, the first time I went, $200,000. When I went back three and a half weeks later, it was $420,000. Now, the thing that's interesting is the local population, which is primarily um, a black population, um, you know, they, the unemployment is in the city up to 50, 60 percent. And with inflation and, and stuff, people just do not have enough money to buy even the basics. So, so there's a lot of people very, very hungry. And when you meet the white population, um, they have a, a problem which is similar, but not perhaps as severe, because Pretty much the only white people left in Zimbabwe are pensioners, retired people, who are on fixed incomes, which, of course, have just been decimated completely by inflation because they're earning, you know, maybe their, their pensions are going up 100%, 150%, but inflation is anything up to 600%. So, you know, I met people that I had known. They were parents of friends and things, and it was pretty uh, just uh, scary to see that they were living on, on pretty much nothing and, and trying to either living on handouts or, or um, trying to find ways of supplementing their income. Clearly, they're not in as bad a situation as, as many of the, 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 the black population, but you know, it's just everyone's really struggling there. The center of town on Harare is much less hostile than it used to be um, because when you used to go there, there was a lot of street children and, and a lot of people harassing you for money. And what the government did um, a while ago is they did a big clear out and they bulldozed down people's houses. Um, they cleared out all kind of vendors who were selling flowers or carvings and things and just drove them out and put them in the city, which um, the advantage of that, if, if you like, if there was an advantage, it's made the town, the center of Harare, feel less kind of threatening. But it's also pretty tragic because you now I have all these people who had only source of income was kind of vending and hawking, and that's, that's basically gone. Very few people would go out at night. They, 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 they feel it's pretty scary to go out at night. Um, and it's just very tragic and very scary what used to be an amazing place. And, um, you know, the places like Kariba, places like Vic Falls, the Safari, it's just all dying, and it's just tragic. And, of course, it, it, you know, tourism could have been a great way of bringing in money, but you just don't really feel safe there. Crime is obviously very huge because there's so much unemployment, there's so much illness. And that's Zimbabwe. It's sad to say, but my tip is... Don't visit it, but do go to the falls, but go to Zambia and see them. It's just quite phenomenal. You've been listening to Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast with Gary Bembridge. 
To find out more, visit the Tips for Travellers website at tipsfortravellers.com. That's all one word, and spelt the UK way with two L's. That's tipsfortravellers.com or mytravelreviews.com. There you'll find contact details, links, and much, much more. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, search on iTunes or Yahoo Podcasts for Tips for Travellers.